So every once in a while I like to begin uh, with a question because I think it helps set the tone for us. Certainly uh, wanting and desiring that tonight. So let's begin tonight with this, uh, this question. Are you a role model is my question. Seems like an interesting way to start, right? Um, I think it would be helpful though before we uh, really ask that of you to define what a role model is. And so I looked up role model on the internet because it's it's on the internet, then it's definitely true. Here's, here's what role model is defined by. A person looked to by others as an example to be imitated. Well, what started to happen when I was uh, a teenager is there was this cultural trend of people who were celebrating not being a role model, okay? I know some of you have never even heard of Charles Barkley, Okay. But, but here's what Charles Barkley said. Check this out. He said, I'm not a role model. Just because I can dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Okay? There's a real quote. He said it. Now listen, what happened was Nike took this quote and to celebrate it further, they made this. They actually made a t-shirt, not a role model. So like people would like walk around celebrating that they're not a role model, right? And, and, so, and so then, you know, cultural trends continued and... and and uh, even advanced, uh, I could say. And then uh, a young man by the name of Easy e uh, maybe some of you have heard of him, uh, he, here's what he said, okay? I'm not a role model or Dr. Susio, I'm a gangsta, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, Easy e of course, has made a, quite a comeback with uh, a movie uh, about NWA here recently. It's interesting to me that he uh, assimilates Dr. Seuss and role model, right? That's pretty incredible. Uh, he says he's a gangster. And then, of course, you can't leave a role model discussion without bringing in Marilyn Manson. Here's what Marilyn Manson says. I'm not a role model. I'm a role villain, okay? And I tried to, I tried to chose a, choose an appropriate picture there because there are several inappropriate pictures. You can take that down now. Um, <laughs> so would that be your sentiment? I'm not a role model. And you, like, see it as this prideful tag kind of thing. I think there's a common thread, listen, a common belief amongst people who do not want to be a role model. And what's happened is, is that belief has infiltrated the church. Now, here's what that belief is. Next slide. If I lessen the expectations about how people view my life, I have more liberty to publicly and privately do what I want. So if I lower the bar, if I tell them I'm, I'm not a role model, then I can live however it is that I want. And then when, then when they come at me, I can say, well, I, I never said I was a role model. What Christians have done, and I would even say I have communicated at times that, uh, that even tonight I'm repenting of, is we've celebrated this kind of language like, listen, we're just messed up punks in desperate need of God's grace. All of it's true. But when it be begins to become a warrant for us to live like hell... Because we're able to lessen the expectations so that when people come to us and we're like, listen, I never claimed perfection. I already said I was a wretched punk. Right. We actually take this beautiful calling that we have in Christ and we minimalize it. And I believe that's what's happened for many of you. And so tonight, listen, we get this really rare opportunity to study one verse in Wayne's World terms, a verse. Okay, we're going to study one verse tonight. Uh, and I know some, what some of you are thinking, you're like, oh, oh, does that mean we're going to get out early? No, not at all. Um, uh, one verse, one very, very impactful verse, and I'm serious, um, the opportunity tonight to, to see God work is incredible. So open up your Bibles or turn to your phones uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1, that's it, verse 1. Not many words either in this verse. It's not like a run-on verse with a lot of commas. It's very, very simple. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He is celebrating imitation. Uh, for many of us, this verse brings with it an incredible amount of shame. Because you already can see where this is headed. Like you're already foreshadowing where we're going. And so because of that, it's already put some of you in bondage. 
because you know this verse is going to cause you to have to wrestle with, them, with some things that you really don't want to wrestle with tonight. All of us deep down, including myself, at the end of the day in our flesh, would love just to be coddled, held with a nice teddy bear, you know, told that it's all going to be okay, not taught the hard truths. But you guys already know, like when you, when you, when you wrestle with a passage like this, it brings with it a certain level of harshness, of clarity, of black and whiteness, if we can say that. And so I even had a friend uh, earlier, I was like, so, you know, she had texted me, hey, what are we studying tonight? And I said, oh, we're studying uh, chapter 11, verse 1. She's like, uh, no, so like, where are we ending? I was like, chapter 11, verse 1. She's like, no, I, I'm asking you what we're teaching. Chapter 11, verse 1. Ah, verse, right. And so then she read it, and later she texted me. She's like, I'm not coming tonight. And I was like, okay, well, um, and she was saying it jokingly. But she read this knowing precisely where she thought it would go. But what if, it, what if it doesn't go there? Here's what I mean. There's two natural questions that come from this. Here's the first. Is there something about your life that would benefit everyone else in this room if they imitated you? So be selfish for a moment, okay? If there was something that you wish every single person in this room would do and the world would be a better place what would that one thing be, right? Some of you guys know this about me, some of you don't. I uh, am a very clean person, okay? Uh, I take multiple showers a day. Uh, when I say multiple, it's a rare day I don't take three, okay? I prefer seven, all right? Um, I really believe in my heart that if everyone, you know, took one extra shower than what they thought that, that they need, man, like, St. Charles would just be a better place, okay? If everyone would just imitate me in that, like that, that would be a very, a very good thing. I've been around some of you. Trust me, it's true, okay? Like, embrace it, okay? Embrace it. Now, what, what, what about it for you? If there's one thing you wish that, that people would just imitate, let's, let's have a little moment of interaction. Anyone want to share yours real quick? This will be fun, okay? If everyone would just imitate this, yes. I use my blinker when I get home. You use your blinker. <laughs> yes. Right? Wow. Wow. That's impressive. A lot of energy around that. Said all of the guilty parties who don't use their blinker, right? Uh, any others? Any others? Any, like, if, man, if, if people just would do this, the world would be a better place. Any others? Yeah, brother. Text back. Te you, okay, if everyone would text back. Hey, later, can, I want your phone number. This will be a lot of fun. I'm going to test your theory, okay? It's going to be a long night, okay? I stay up late, I get up early, brother. You know what I'm saying? Okay? <laughs> now, all this is well and good. All this is well and good. It's kind of fun to think about it in this way. But what happens when questions aren't so fun anymore? The second question that is natural in this. What would be one thing about your life that would cause someone else's years of pain if they imitated you? So if they saw this piece and then they began the imitating process, it would cost them years of pain. And you know it would because it's cost you. Now the reality is that one thing for some of you Many of you have come in here feeling very, very trapped. That's why this verse can be a means of bondage, even though it's not intended to be at all. You walk in here feeling trapped. You walk in here answering the question about being a role model based on your feelings. But what if tonight we submitted our feelings and instead desired to believe a different way to think? I was even praying that with Brandon earlier. Like, God, I just, I, I want to submit my, feel I'm a feeler, man. Okay, I'm a big feeler. Like, I talk about feelings, I enjoy feelings. I know that seems weird, you know, being a football player and all, but that's just who I am. But tonight, I want to submit those feelings and instead a, a learn a, a deeper doctrine about how it is maybe that I am too called to ask others to imitate me. And that scares so many of you, it scares me. So because of the fears that we collectively have, let's answer three very clear questions 
from chapter 11, verse 1. The first question I want to answer is this. Is this something only a, a, a disciple can, like, claim? Okay? So an apostle, a, a disciple, someone who's super hardcore, is that person the only kind of person that can say, imitate me? Paul was an apostle. He, he was one sent by God. So is this reserved for only those kinds of people? The second question I want to answer is this, okay? Is this kind of mentality arrogance? Because it seems arrogant, doesn't it? Imitate me. Let's go. Well, that seems kind of preposterous. Like, like how, can, how can you say that? Imitate you? That, that, seems, that seems very, very prideful. So is it? We'll wrestle with that. And finally, and probably most significantly, how can an imperfect person call others to imitate imperfection? It's a really good question. <laughs> like if we're imperfect and if somehow we fit the bill, then how can I call other imperfect people to imitate imperfection? It, like how does that work? We're going to process all three tonight. So strap on your seatbelt. Let's begin right here. Next slide with question number one. Is this something only an apostle can claim? So here's what I did for fun. All right. I do this for fun. I hope you find yourself doing it as well. Is I, I said, all right, what is every passage in the New Testament that talks about imitating? I studied all of those verses. I gave them to all of our staff. They studied them as well. And then we, we came up with some observations. So I'd like to share some of those with you, okay? Now, first of all, next slide. Look at this. Here's what Paul says earlier in Corinthians. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Do you notice something about this verse? Unapologetic. That's what urge means. Urge means, hey, uh, uh, would you, could you, um, you really should imitate me because I'm kind of an, no, like an urge is imitate me. Let's go. Like you picture the passion in his eyes. So he, he's not apologetic about this claim, okay? So we'll wrestle with the pride and arrogance implications here in a little bit. But he goes on later, okay, look at this in Philippians 3. Brothers, join in imitating me. In other words, there are already some that are. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, all right? So imitate me, follow me, see the things that I do. Uh, finally, we see this as well about himself in Philippians 4, a chapter later. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. My question for you, if we could have a moment together, would you have the boldness to say that? Hey, what you've seen and heard and watched in me, practice those things. Or would you be like, yeah, do what I say, not what I do. Actually, what you've seen and heard and watched in me, don't do that. Um, do, do like a whole different kind of way of living, right? There have definitely been seasons in my life where that question would cause a tremendous amount of shame. And I want to help shepherd your heart in that tonight because I know some of you are already feeling that. Oh my goodness, Mark. Like, yeah, there's, there's actually all kinds of areas that I don't want anyone to see and I would never ask them to imitate me in it. Okay? So Paul makes very clear that people are to imitate him. But what about others? Here's what he says later in the New Testament. Look at this. This is beautiful. First Thessalonians chapter 2. For you, brothers, became imitators of the what? Of the what? Come on. Of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. He's talking about suffering. But he opens up the gamut now of imitation to not just be him, or even as he said earlier, those. Now all of a sudden it's the churches. Interesting. Noted. Next slide. Look at this in Hebrews 6. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of what? Come on, those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, now it's not just Paul, now it's, it's those, those who have faith, those who have exhibited patience, imitate those people, okay? And finally, look at this later in Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So now all of a sudden, next slide, if the question is this, if the question is, is it only something for an apostle? 
I think what we've just seen here is that must not be the case. Even though Paul is an apostle, we see those, we see us, we see churches, we see leaders. Uh, let me help clarify this really quick. Can I have uh, everyone here who is uh, under the age of 18? So let's just say 17 and under. Could you guys stand up for me? 17 and under. Could you stand up? Okay. Several here. Wonderful. This is, I know this starts to get nervous, right? You're like, oh dear. Um, listen. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible to think about you and where you're at in your journey of life right now? Even though you're young, all of a sudden having the boldness to be able to say, imitate me. The world wouldn't say that. The culture wouldn't say that. In fact, the church often wouldn't say that. Hey, you guys go play over there in the corner. You guys go have a nice life. I know you have nice hair and a nice goatee, brother, but listen, you just go do your own thing, okay? Uh, but but can, can I pose something to you? Uh, there's a, a story in the scripture where Jesus calls the little children to come to him. And you know what he tells everyone else around the little children? He says, unless you become like these, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what is he saying? Imitate who? Children who are running after Christ. Uh, let me make this clear. In other words, even you, how old are you, brother? Right here. Yeah, pink striped shirt. 17 years old. All right, what's your name again? Logan. Nice dude, best hair in the room. It's good to see you, okay? Now, listen to this. Listen to this, Logan. Okay. Think about the empowerment of you at 17, year, uh, 17 years old running after Christ. It's that prerequisite that becomes imitatable. So in other words, anyone... From the moment of their conversion, who believe in God, who are running after Christ, then they become imitatable. Why? Because they're running to Christ. That's it. The prerequisite of becoming imitatable are those who have said, he's my God and I'm running after him. That's why I'm longing more and more, even in this body, that we celebrate the youthfulness that are here. Why? Because we can learn so much from your passion and zeal for Christ. So don't let anyone, especially for those of you guys, I know it can be intimidating with a lot of college students around. Seriously. Instead, lead them. Lead them. Why not? Be emboldened because of your faith. Pursue Christ and ask others to imitate you as you run after him. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, Mark, just let us sit down. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Give, give it up for these guys. Come on, that was bold, powerful. Logan, thank you. Praise God for that. Now, I know for sure that there's a whole ton of you here tonight that don't feel that. Mark, I don't feel imitatable at all. I don't feel like I'm running after Christ. So Mark, if that's a prerequisite, then I guess that's not for me. I just want to make sure we're clear on something. Those who are in Christ are running after Christ. If God's real for you, then you're submissive to him as king. If he's an idea, I understand. Now we're going to wrestle with that concept here as we go, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay. So is this something only for an apostle? No, no. There's no age limitations or restrictions it is, if you're pursuing Christ, then that makes you imitatable. Are we together? Okay. So the second question is this. <clears throat> is this kind of mentality arrogant? Is there a certain level of pride in it? Uh, well, again, I know this is kind of uh, in some ways before your time, but this was an old ad campaign that was run uh, in the 90s. Um, do any of you guys actually remember these commercials, Be Like Mike? Like Mike, if I could be. You guys, Okay. And some of you are acting, let me make clear who this is. This is Michael Jordan, okay? I feel like I need clarity here. Uh, he was a basketball player, okay? He is uh, a quadrillionaire, all right? Won six championships, played for the Chicago Bulls, drank a lot of Gatorade apparently. Now listen, um, I believe this is built on arrogance. And ad campaignees would say, well, no, it's built on trying to get people to buy Gatorade. Seemingly arrogant, right? Uh, let me prove my point. Uh, next slide. Remember what this verse said? Be imitators of me as what? As I am what? Of Christ. So Paul wasn't the end. You guys see? 
But in the Be Like Mike campaign, Mike is the end. You're like Mike. Like, that's your goal. You're going you're gonna to be like Mike. And, and it certainly seems like that maybe would be a good thing, right? I'd have a lot of money. I could dunk um, with extreme measures, uh, right? I would have a lot of championships. I would have a lot of clout. I would be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Like, I want to be like Mike. But for Paul, being like him isn't the end. Uh, let me illustrate what I mean. Next slide. Look at this. Here's what Paul is saying. Because of Christ and Christ's salvation and calling Paul a son, then Paul is infiltrating that message from Christ to others as an ambassador. So he gets to take the message of Jesus and he gets to tell the world about who Christ is. Why? Because he's of Christ. Now on the flip side of that, look at this. He's also, he's also getting to call others to imitate him because he's going to point people to Jesus. He's literally all his life going to say, all right, listen, imitate me because what's going to happen when you imitate me is I'm going to keep pointing in the direction of Christ. This happens a ton, a ton in parenting, all right? Um, so I've, I've slow played my kids being on athletic teams, uh, nine-year-old, six- and five-year-old boys. Here's why. I know my temptation. And my temptation is that I, like, want for my kids to, like, relive my glory days, right? My temptation is to be like, hey, Dawson, who's six, so, hey, uh, man, football, what a great sport, right? So let me tell you a little something, Dawson. Uh, so your daddy, uh, back in his senior year of high school, whoo, Dawson, let me tell you something. Um, so when your daddy was a senior in high school, I mean, he was pretty much like king of the town, um, his team was awesome. He had a lot of running yards and a lot of passing yards. He scored a lot of touchdowns. I mean, and, and like Dawson's watching me and I'm like, my eyes are rolling back on my head, right? And like all of a sudden I'm, I'm like worshiping and I'm not even sure what I'm worshiping, right? Well, what Dawson learns in that is that like, hey, you need to play football because your daddy did. I know my own temptation to do that. Okay. So I've like intentionally slow played my kids in sports, because A, I, I want our time. I'm not, I'm not saying I've done this and this needs to be a stamp of approval on everyone, but, but I, I feel like by spending more time as a family, by playing together, maybe we'll get to see uh, their desires. Well, what's happened is Dawson now all of a sudden wants to play football all the time. He comes home and he's like, Daddy, you want to play catch? I'll guarantee you I don't say no, right? And I'm teaching pro, pronate and he's throwing spirals. And just the other day, he threw like a 20-yard, you know, like literally out to me. And I'm catching it, right? And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I even took some videos and sent it away. Point is, okay, I'm only like recruiting, right? Like Mizzou, like check this out. I know he's six, but boy can ball, okay? My temptation, your temptation is to do this. Next slide. Is to end with yourself. So you to others... And then others to you. You become the benchmark. I've shared this uh, at other times here, but it is so tempting, it is so tempting to be my kid's hero. It is so tempting, man. They, they run up here after the first gathering, you know, and they're giving me a hug and stuff. And it is so tempting in my heart to be like, yes, kids, yes. Your daddy has done it again, you know? Like, he's done it again, kids. Guess what? It is so tempting to do that. It's so tempting to come home, and I often get home, like, right when I get home from school, swing open the door. Kids, guess what? Daddy's home again, right? And we, like, celebrate, and the Titanic theme song is playing in the background, and, like, we just have this moment together. It, it, it is so incredibly tempting to do so because my flesh longs to be the hero, but my call is to take them to Jesus, my kids desperately need to, need to learn. You desperately need to learn that us in Christ is not the focus. Christ is. So is it prideful or arrogant? Yeah, when you're the end. Yeah, when you're the focus. But for Paul saying, imitate me because I am of Christ. Oh, no, there's no, there's no arrogance in that because he's pointing to the one who's worth imitating. And the only reason why he can even be imitatable is because of what Christ has done in him. Are we together, my friends? Now, what starts to happen when you embrace that is all of a sudden you start to get very, very clear on your call. 
if it's not age requirement restricted, if it's not just for apostles, that means every follower of Christ has the joy of saying, imitate me. And now all of a sudden, like you're, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. Like, I, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for a different kind of way, a different kind of mentality. And that is exactly what is crippling the church. Because it's a bunch of people who have said, oh no, we believe in Jesus. We just don't want to be an ambassador for him. Because at the end of the day, we're kind of embarrassed. Oh no, like I'll do the Jesus thing all day long. I mean, I'll communicate it when it's convenient for me. But at the end of the day, I don't ever want to be an ambassador for him or stand behind some podium and tell people about him. Listen, I just want heaven, ultimately. I want to get out of hell free card. That's really what I desire. Do you guys understand how crippling that is then? When we could say in boldness and in confidence, not in our own ability, but because of Christ, imitate me. Because you know what's going to happen? We're going to go to Jesus. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And so then the world, the non-believers, and those young in the faith get to watch this continual pursuit of followers of Christ to the person of Christ. And that is incredibly powerful. Well, then the third and final question, which is really, really difficult. Uh, next slide. How can an imperfect person call others to imitate imperfection? I feel like I've been like waiting on this moment right now for days. There is only one way. You and I are both imperfect, right? Amen? You have an amen all night, like now's your time, okay? Like we're, we're imperfect together, it's clear. It's become a crutch for many of you. Mark, I'm imperfect, I can't ask anyone to follow me, okay? But what if all of a sudden you embrace this? This is the only way that imperfect people can call others to imitate them because they get to see repentance. If there is one thing I long for my kids to see in me, it's a dad who repents. If there's one thing I long for you to see in me, it's a pastor who repents. He doesn't have it all together, he's not perfect, he's gonna fail. He screws up early and often. But what he doesn't do is celebrate his screw-ups. No, instead, he desires to repent, to turn from his sin, which is what repentance is, my back to God, indulging in my sin, I repent. I stop in my tracks. I turn my back to my sin, and instead, I embrace the loving arms of a gracious God who has welcomed me home again. That's what repentance is. What often is happening, though, for many of you, right, is it's apology, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. 24 hours later. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. Six hours later. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I promise this time I'll never, I'll never indulge in that way again. And on and on and on. Let me make sure you understand that is not repentance. It is not repentance. Living on the hamster wheel of sin over and over and over and over, that is not Repentance, and repentance is the only way, the only way that we get the opportunity and the grace to call others to imitate us because if they can see us repent, oh my goodness. In 2010, our church was um, very young um, in, in every aspect. We had grown to a couple hundred folks and we had raised up a couple church planters and then sent them out. We sent out half of our congregation at the time. So you can do the math there, okay? It doesn't take too long to do that math, 200 and a half. Um, and so I was uh, left um, having to, in my mind, hold it together. I was excited to plant churches, which we're continually excited to support and plant churches. I was excited to embrace a new season for the church, all of that. But inwardly, I felt abandoned. 
Uh, inwardly, I felt shameful. Because what I saw being exuded in me was insecurity after insecurity. Everything publicly was, it's all good. We're going to hang in there. We're like, let's go. Let's fight some crime together. It's a new day. And I was saying it enough, but in my heart, insecure, feeling abandoned, and ultimately living in unrepentant sin. I wasn't trusting the Lord. I wasn't bringing my brothers into it. I was faking it until I made it. My wife didn't even know about this. I hid this from everybody. Living in unrepentant sin. And I'll make, I'll make sure you understand one thing very, very clearly. In that season, there was nothing in me that desired for me to communicate, imitate me. Why? Because I knew what I would be bringing people into. So I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say imitate me. I, I, would, I would use words to hide behind but then all of a sudden, after a couple months of, being, uh, of battling insecurity and abandonment, my own struggles, all of a sudden the Lord opens my eyes, I see my sin, I embrace repentance, I receive the grace of the Lord, and in that precise moment, all of a sudden this brand new emboldenedness came in walking freed from my sin. Are you with me, my friends? And so then there was no shame in saying, come and imitate me. Why? Because I was living in repentance. Would I fail again? Yes. But I would have the opportunity again for my failure to be a testimony of God's grace, which is exactly what every single one of you have the opportunity to live in tonight. The same people that have walked in here shameful because a habitual sin has entrapped you are the same people that can leave here tonight with a testimony of God's grace. And that is insane. Not one of us deserved it. Like, God should have shunned me. He should have kicked me back into the orphanage. Instead, he affirmed in me day after day after day my sonship in his son. Repentance is the only way. Paul says, in the face of King Agrippa in Acts 26, this unbelievable line about repentance. And I want to make sure you see it tonight. He's uh, just made a case based on his conversion and then he says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. God gave a clear vision for what my life would be in preaching the message of the gospel. But I declared it first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and look at this, and also to the Gentiles, that they should, what's the word? Come on. Repent, repent and turn to God. Exactly what I just did. Repent, turn from your sin and turn to God. But look at this. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Uh, the way Jesus said it, and the way Paul says it in another place, is bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, you don't repent just to wait on the other opportunity to repent. When you repent and turn to the Lord, your life will be communicating the power of what God is doing in you. You're not just waiting for another chance to repent. No, now you are living in freedom. Do you guys understand? And so then, yes, as you struggle, as you reveal your imperfectness again, you're quick to repent because you know that that provided you absolutely nothing. And so Paul encourages, just like I'm going to encourage you, we have the freedom to invite others to imitate, even in our imperfection, because they will get to watch us repent. And if they learn biblical repentance and not just half-hearted apology, that will be one of the greatest lessons they could ever learn. And so imitate me then in all of my failures, in all of my insecurities. God, please help me, help my brothers and sisters in this room turn from our sin and repent and embrace grace again. Next slide, check this out. I hope this will help us. Are you ready for this? Be imitators then. You, you feel tonight ready. Instead, what I think most of you are feeling, because much of what you're doing is based on your feeling, is you're feeling incredibly fearful. Mark, no, dude, you don't know, man. You don't know what I'm trapped in. Uh, can, I, can I tell you a story from like an hour ago? Is that cool? Can I tell you a story? So I got to talk to a dear friend. And I say dear friend even though I, I just met the individual, okay? 
And um, they came up to me afterwards, and they're like, Mark, um, I've literally spent my entire life as a teenager in, like, continual sexual promiscuity, like, just over and over and over. And right now I'm in a relationship that's, like, absolutely distant from the Lord. And she was, she was so broken because she knew she could just be freed by the gospel. And she was. She desired it. She could be freed. And she could leave here and just say, like, God, please do a work in me. And every single one of you here tonight, every single one of you have that exact same promise. Is no matter how you walked in here, no matter what fears and no matter what shame you carry with you, Mark, I'm not imitatable. Mark, it can't happen. It won't be me. You don't understand. You don't understand the power of the grace of God. But fear grips us. And you know what fear in this area has done? Can I tell you this? It's done a lot of things. Number one, it's done this. It has created minimal disciple making. I don't want to be imitated, and that ultimately is what discipleship is. Come follow me, it's together we follow Christ. So what it's done is it's created an entire culture in Christendom where we take the call and command in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, and we say, nope, not us. That's for the hardcore that's for those who, who are apostles. That's for those who can do healings and miracles. Oh, no. You're mistaken. There's not an asterisk on Matthew 28. My dear friend Logan, as a 17-year-old, if he's in Christ, he is either in a period of readiness to be a disciple maker or it's go time now to spend the rest of his life making disciples. Logan, I mean, that, that's what I'm talking about, brother. Right? And I don't even know the brother's a believer. I think he is, right? Okay. Right? But that's his reality. That's his reality. So what's happened instead is the embracing of disciple-making goes by the wayside. So you know our reality right now in our culture and even in this church? There are way, way, way more of those needing to be discipled than those making disciples. And it's creating a massive chasm. And I believe it's unfortunate. Because mature believers haven't embraced the call. And so these younger followers of Christ are being awakened by the gospel the same way you were. And they're looking around for people to empower them, for people to call them, to imitate themselves as they together follow Christ. And instead, they're having to grow in Christ sometimes on their own. Doesn't anyone believe that's a shame? That's a shame. Oh, my goodness. I have a dear friend uh, that, I, that I just met last week that literally here, like, confess Christ. Well, that, she is so desperately in need right now of, of someone to come alongside of her and disciple her. And what a joy, what a beauty that is. But you know what? If you're gripped by the unimitatable nature of your shame, disciple-making goes by the wayside, and that's what's happened. Number two, and this is huge, it's causing cowardice. Uh, the tricky thing about cowardice is when there's a bunch of people in the corner together, you know what happens? Is they begin to feel community in the corner. There's a false sense of community in cowardice because you get to be cowards together. Don't imitate me. Oh, you're the don't imitate me club? You're the not role model club? Right on. Let's hang together. This will be fun. Hey, you, you, you bring the drinks next time, right? We're going to play games. It, it'll be a lot of fun. And it is so incredibly difficult to leave that community because it's built on being fueled by one another's insecurities. You get together and you just bask in one another's insecurities. And you just coddle one another and everyone high fives in their cowardice. My friends, it is so abysmal that this is the status of much of the American church. Cowardice. No desire in the boldness of the Spirit to say, imitate me as together we follow Christ. Instead, no, no, we're just going to hang here in the corner. I want to say this tonight. You can come out of the corner right now, right now. Difficult? Yes. The same way that you were gossiping about others when you were over there, guess what? You will soon become uh, the epitome of their gossip. Because they will feel judged by you when you leave. And you say... All of a sudden, while taking a stand, I can't do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. These relationships are hindering me. Some of you have groups of friends right now. All that they are doing, even under the premise of Christianity, is they are stealing and robbing the joy that you have in Christ, and it's all shrouded by cowardice. 
What happens when the spirit enters into a follower of Christ? The scripture says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. I certainly don't read cowardice in that text in Timothy. Instead, what I read is being emboldened. Why? Because he's resurrected. Why? Because we understand and know that he's king. But the fear of this, of being imitated, no. Let's go to the corner. Listen, you can come out tonight. You don't have to spend one more day there. You do not have to live in that kind of shame anymore. Please hear this. This is hope. The third fear that this is causing, ho, ho. I have not been um, sexually or physically abusive. I know some of you have, but I have abused grace. I hate it. I hate it in me. I hate that I've taken this precious gift that God has given me in grace and taken it for granted and used it for my own devices. Maybe you'll familiarize yourself with this kind of mentality. Oh, whew, God, I'm just, I'm really, really glad you're going to forgive me again. I'm so glad. So, hey, God, listen, why don't you go ahead and forgive me again because I got some sinning to do over here. And then when I start to feel bad about it again, hey, whoo, God, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Your your grace is so good, Lord. And you say the right things and you hit play on the right song. And then literally sometimes minutes later, minutes later, walking back out of the door, turning your back right again on God, myself at times doing the exact same thing. And because I have grace, taking it for granted, taking advantage of it. Paul says, should we go on sinning so grace may increase by no means? We would chastise the sexual abuser all day long. We would chastise the pedophiles. We would chastise those who abuse women. And yet the greatest gift on the face of the planet is grace. And yet for us, it hasn't stirred in us the same kind of anger that we feel towards the sexual abuser. Here's what's crazy. If the pedophile can receive the grace of God, then so can those who have abused it. If you have been and spent a tremendous amount of time apologizing, unrepentant, using God for his grace, the beautiful thing is somehow, I cannot give the answer, somehow, he will extend his hand of mercy even to you, even to me. And so some of us who came in here abusing grace by going to the well every single time it's convenient for us and then going and living like hell again, guess what? You too can repent, can cherish grace anew and can celebrate what you have in Christ. Uh, The final thing that the fear of this does, um, gripping this culture more than anything, I believe, is a paralyzing identity crisis. Here's what I mean. You wrestle with what it even is that you're trying to imitate and what it even is that you're trying to encourage others to live like. And you're caught in the chasm in between. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, In ministry world, uh, there are several influential teachers or pastors. And it's always really, really curious to me when all of a sudden everyone starts sounding the same. Uh, there's been a season now when I start listening to some guys 
or I'll hear a guy preach somewhere, and I'm like, man, that sounds strangely like Matt Chandler again. But you're not Matt Chandler. So have you guys ever had that before? Where you're like watching someone speak or preach, before, you know, and they're like, hold on, is that Francis Chan? No, wait a second. That's not, but what do you, like, what's going on here? And, and what these pastors, and I was very tempted to do this early in my ministry, eventually I had to just stop listening to other guys. What happens is they start listening to guys and they start believing that to be successful, it means they need to preach like Matt Chandler in his motions. He does this a lot, like in his motions. They need to like have his same voice inflections. They need to preach like Driscoll, right? And get super, you know, fiery is a nice way of saying it, right? Like, or whatever. They need to preach like Francis Chan, you know, and hug people a lot, whatever. And, and they actually like take on their voice and take on their images. Do you see how, how that's not imitating, that's being an imposter. And that's precisely what this identity crisis is. You're like, hold on, am I trying to be like Christ or am I trying to be like Matt Chandler? Now, in the body of Christ, let's bring it down the level a little bit. There's some, I would say, some, some believers in this room that are leaders, that are strong in their faith, even at a young age. So many in this room. Encouraged, blessed by that. Like, I watch your faith, and I'm nurtured by it. I'm stirred. You should be uh, being called, even me, to imitate you. I love it. I love it. But what starts happening is, in that group of friends, it's like, well, maybe if I just talk like them, or if I, if I like, have the same group of friends that they did, then maybe that's what it means to live in Christ. You guys understand? And so all of these other areas that are like begging and longing for your attention, if you could just imitate that, if you could just sound like that, if you could just sing like that, and instead what it's done is it's paralyzed you. No action, cowardice in the corner, because you have no idea who you are. So can I share one final passage with you, if that's cool? Is that cool? For those confused about who they are, here's what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says. Therefore, be imitators of God. Of God. As what? Beloved children. Somehow, some way, you have been graced in Christ to look like your father. And your father just so happens to not just be the creator of the, uni of the universe, but the savior of it. And scripture commands for our joy, as written by Paul, that we're to be imitators of God, to love like him, to serve like him, to be merciful like him, to be compassionate like Christ was, still is, to be bold, uh, to, be, to be unafraid of suffering. Uh, now, certainly there's aspects of God's character where we're not going to be the creators of the universe, but we get to look to his character. We get to. It's our joy to, as ambassadors for him, for people to look at us and say, whoa, 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 that really resembles the person of Christ. You love differently. You extend grace like someone who's received it yourself. Why were you merciful there? It must be because you're imitating the God that you say that you serve. Do you understand now? why the call to imitate is so central to the move of the gospel? It's because we get the joy of imitating our God, of being like him. Somehow, we come into the courts of the king on our face with confidence, and he sends us out with his spirit to show the world what he's like. Do you guys understand? We get to show the world what he's like. Um, I'm not going to ask, are you a role model? 
I'm not gonna ask tonight what the one thing is that if people imitated it would cause years of pain. I'm gonna ask tonight if you're interested in repentance. Maybe there's something tonight that has trapped you and you're recognizing tonight that you in fact have been an abuser in reckless fashion with grace. Tonight you can leave with a testimony of repentance and acceptance as a beloved child of God. And so I know many of you are like, okay, Mark, how do I repent? Mark, if I feel trapped, if I feel enslaved, Mark, I've tried the thing before, how do I repent, Mark? Tonight, it begins by running to the person of Christ. Mark, that seems simple. That's the unbelievable thing about the gospel. And so tonight we get to come to the cross, imitating Christ, called to daily deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. We get to come here tonight, celebrating being called to share in a death like his, that we may share in a life like his. And so when he broke the bread and he said, remember this, When you eat, remember me, remember me. The power of remembrance was that his disciples would spend their life living like him. And then he holds up the cup and he says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. Take this and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Why? They would need to remember him because they would spend the rest of their lives living like him. It's time now, now. We get the joy of imitating our God, of spending our lives living like him. Will we fall short? Yes. And in quick repentance and turning again to the open arms of God, we get to receive again what we get to tell the world about, and that's grace. You're undeserving. It's not merited, but guess what? He will give it to you. But, but you don't understand, there's no way God will forgive me. No, he can forgive the pedophile. He can forgive the murderer. He forgave me, a grace abuser. And somehow I'm still called a beloved child. Hey, come out of the corner tonight. I know it's trapped you. I know it doesn't seem like there's a way out, but there is in Christ alone. So come to the table, believers. Pull a a piece of bread up and dip it in the cup and celebrate once again that you can imitate your God to a lost and dying world. Let's celebrate together.